You know, last week we looked at time and we, uh, you know, we went through some things about time. We saw that time is affected by uh, gravity. Uh, in other words, time is different at the top of Mount Everest than it is at the bottom of Mount Everest. Uh, we also saw that time is affected by uh, speed when you're traveling in outer space. Time goes by differently for somebody traveling in outer space than somebody that stays on the earth. And as weird as that uh, seemed, we talked about that a little bit. And we saw how that uh, God explained time uh, in the Bible. And he said, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord's a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And we looked at that and we began to apply that to the seven days of creation. And we saw that God gave us uh, the timeline for uh, man's history from, uh, from the beginning of Adam and Eve all the way up to the end of the millennium, and it covers uh, seven days, as in 7,000 years, uh, just like God, uh, you know, um, showed us in the creation back in the book of Genesis. Um, so those things are all, you know, interesting, and, and God used that timeline, and that was an aspect of God's character, how, how time is different for God than, than it is for you and I. Uh, this week... Um, I'd like to take a look at that timeline again and, and plot something a little bit differently along that timeline. What I'm going to be looking at this, this morning is a different attribute of God. Uh, <clears throat> and the attribute that I'm going to be talking about this morning and what the uh, title of the message is today is simply this, God's judgments. God's judgments. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll begin. Father, we thank you once again for... Uh, these folks that have taken time out of their busy schedule, uh, Lord, they have chosen to come to church and spend time here in the house of God to hear uh, you talk to them. Father, they uh, certainly didn't come for me, certainly didn't come for uh, uh, the great uh, food that, w- that we have. I know it's a, it's a good place and there's great fellowship and great people and, and, and that sort of thing, but Lord, they, they came because you're their God. And I ask that you would minister to them this morning, that, <coughs> that you would use broken and weak vessels, uh, the rest of us here to minister to one another, uh, but more than anything, Father, <coughs> that your word would speak to each and every heart that's here this morning. Pray you'd help us, uh, watch over, take care of us, a lot of things going on in people's lives, and Father, we have to trust you with all those things. You're a great God, and we love you, and just pray that you'd watch over and take care of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, God's judgment. So, uh, as human beings, listen, we all have uh, we all have within us this this innate, um, I guess, this innate knowledge, uh, this ingrained knowledge uh, within us about this thing that we call judgment. I mean, every one of us knows at some level or another, um, somebody's watching us, right? Uh, we know that, <clears throat> you know, that somehow or another judgment is, is on the horizon. Um, in fact, judgment uh, in the the, uh, you know, the concept of judgment is so much a part of us that we use it in almost everything that, that we do. Um, listen, no matter how hard people try to avoid judging, you'll hear that all the time, judge not lest ye be judged, or don't judge me. How many of you ever heard that? Don't judge me. Uh, and it's, it's so common, we, we kind of joke about it, which was, you know, the minion joke. Um, <clears throat> But, but nonetheless, even though people would like to avoid 
judgment and being judged, and they don't like the thought of judgment or being judged, it is still so ingrained within our nature, it's almost in our DNA, that we know intuitively there is some, some kind of a judgment out there. Amen? Uh, I think that is, uh, that is certainly fair to say. Um, like I said, we all have this internal concept that we're being evaluated, um, that somehow or another, somehow or another, we're worried that we won't live up to somebody else's expectations. Uh, those things are just a natural part of the way that we as human beings think. We know that we're being judged. Um, and we know that we will eventually have to face judgment with God. Whether people want to admit it or not, we know that that's to be the case. Now, we just had a, a weekend clinic in, in the martial arts thing. And in our, our martial arts organization, we have a whole book dedicated to uh, judging. Imagine that. A book that talks about all the rules that are going to happen when judgment takes place. <laughs> um, this is a, a book that tells you how you will be judged uh, in competition. This book has examples of judging scenarios and, and the outcomes and rules for, for judging. Um, you know, the concept of uh, judging is, uh, is so universal in the martial arts world that we know this. We know that at some point in time we're going to have to bow before the judges. Now think about that for a minute. Even in the martial arts world, we accept this fact. If you're going to compete, you're going to bow before the judges. Um, we know in the martial arts world that somehow or another, uh, those judges are going to be evaluating my performance. They're going to be looking at what I'm doing with a critical eye and, and, and a very watchful eye, and they're going to be checking out, you know, rather that foot is pointed in the right direction. By the way, on the right-hand uh, side, that, that front kick on the left, that's awesome for you karate students here. I'm just giving you a hint. Uh, uh, they're going to... They're going to be watching our, our, our techniques, and we know we're going to be evaluated. We know that, um, that those judges are going to have their eye on all aspects of competition, and we're going to go before them, and we are going to be scored based upon our performance, right? Uh, we know that that scoring comes in, in different categories and different aspects of the martial arts. Uh, competition. We get scored in our forms competition, creativity competition. We get spore, uh, scored, uh, judged in our, our fighting ability. We can even get judged in our breaking ability and, and, and several different categories, weapons categories, all different categories we get judged in. Kind of like being a Christian. There's a lot of different categories that you and I are going to face judgment in. Right? Um, and hopefully, as uh, just like Christians in the martial arts world, what we ultimately hope is at the end, we're going to come out with some great rewards at the judgment. Right? Um, <clears throat> sometimes, however, judgment doesn't necessarily go the way that you want it to go. <laughs> sometimes you get to that judgment and the judge looks at you and he points his figure at you and then he begins to tell you, the infraction that you just made or the things that you have done wrong. Um, now, the funny thing about judgment is, is this. We all have our own idea about what the judgment should be. 
We all have our own ideas and our, our own thoughts about what this, this judgment you know, should look like and what we should and shouldn't be judged on. Every one of us has, uh, you know, has our, own, you know, our own ideas. Um, and we want the judges to assess us based upon our idea of how we think we look. Not necessarily what's in the rule book. Human nature doesn't really change, right? It is pretty consistent across the board. Uh, as I told you, Teresa and I just did a lot of judging training yesterday for a, a bunch of uh, black belts. Um, and I found out later that this uh, event happened, and I, I happened to be at a different location in the gym while something else was going on, and this was relayed to me later, which is very, very, very unfortunate. But um, here's, what, uh, here's what happened. We had, uh, we had one young black belt. Uh, I think he was a, a first or a second degree black belt. Anyway, um, uh, Teresa and, and some of the other uh, instructors, senior instructors were, were, giving, um, you know, were giving training. And they were talking about uh, you know, a blocked technique versus a technique that actually scores a point. And this, uh, this one individual uh, judged a technique and the hand came down and blocked the foot, blocked the, t the kick, and this, this young black belt, second or first or second degree black belt, uh, made the comment that in his, in his judgment, that was a point. And there was a couple of senior, you know, senior black belts sitting there talking to him, trying to explain to this you know, young black belt that no, your concept of what judgment should be is incorrect. You have made a mistake in the way that you're judging, in the way that you're evaluating. And he was very obstinate about this. Well, this is my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. And this is kind of what was going on, and, and you know, and the, the, uh, his, his opinion was that because the foot... You know, because I blocked the leg and the toes, the toes of the foot actually stuck through, they, he, in his opinion, that constituted, oh, you missed the block. That, uh, you know, the toes made it past the block, and that would have been a point. It's probably a good thing I wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> so in his mind, he was the big shot. Uh, he thought he knew how this judgment thing was supposed to work in the martial arts. Because after all, is he a first or a second? First? <laughs> that figures. If I would have had to guess, that would have been my guess. He, after all, he was a first degree black belt. So he knows everything. Uh, you know, his, uh, his ego, his ego kind of got the, the best of him. So here's this first degree black belt sitting amongst a bunch of people who are training him who are fourth, fifth, a lot of thirds, black belts who've had years more experience than him. And he's sitting there explaining to them how they're all wrong and he's right. See, a lot of people think that's how judgment's going to go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> So, the problem is this. The problem is, he's a young black belt, and his basis for judgment, quite frankly, folks, is purely hypothetical. 
It's like, oh no, the toes got past the, the, uh, you know, the, the block, therefore the point scored. <clears throat> um, it sounds good in a test tube environment. Oh, the toes made it past the arm. It must have been a point then. And that's how many people think that judgment is going to go. They have their own opinion, and they think their opinion is is foolproof, and they just can't see anything beyond their own opinion, and they never stop to realize there's a lot more out there than their own opinion. Um, So, you know, Teresa handled this just fine, but she was way, way, way too charitable uh, because she just verbally enlightened him. Now, the problem is, he walked away in the back of his mind, still thinking he was right. I wish I had been there and caught this. Because I have a different way of enlightening people like that. See, it's real simple. What I would have done is, I would have agreed with them. Oh, you're right. Those toes got by that block. In fact, let's enlighten everybody else here in this judging training. And I would have stepped back into a fighting stance. I'd say, what I want you to do is I want you to throw a front kick. And I want you to actually, because this is not just playtime, I want you to actually kick me in the stomach. Right? Kick me. I don't, don't, don't hold back. We're not in competition. This is not no contact. This is more real world. I want you to actually kick me in the stomach. In fact, don't do it lightly. I want you to kick me hard. I, trust me. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm just working back into getting in shape. But my stomach muscles, I can handle it. It'll be okay. And I would have let him kick me at me. <laughs> and then I would have proceeded to throw a low block. And I would have taken the, 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 the business end of my hand. And I would have made contact with the very spot that he arguing was, uh, you know, uh, uh, allowed this kick to be a point, which is right up just past the ankle bone, right in here. And I would have taken my hand and blasted his leg so hard. If, if he was tough and he didn't cry like a little girl, the first time, he w- if I, and if I didn't knock him off balance and onto his uh, hopper right in front of everybody... Then, and he tried to suck it up and tough it up and still decided he wanted to be obstinate, I would have uh, said, you know, well, he's red and I'm blue. I would have said, oh, point red. Let's do it again. (laughs) There's a pressure point right down here. Right? There's a pressure point right down here. I don't know how many of you know it. You can do it while you're in service. If you've got your legs crossed, you can, you can check me out. Just reach down right there with your thumb and just kind of dig in right there. And you'll find a spot that's really, really, really sensitive. I, I see people doing it. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll find some spots down there that are really, really, really sensitive to the touch. And they hurt when they get hit. That's the spot I would have found. Because that is the correct spot to block. And I would have enlightened him into that because up until now, this uh, experienced first degree black belt, his only real experience has been no contact sparring. And when I would have allowed him to actually make contact and feel what a block contact feels like, 
I promise you he would have changed his opinion of his judging uh, assessment like that. And I would have loved it if he would have been really hard-headed and stubborn and obstinate because I would have done it three times in a row (laughs) in a heartbeat. And I promise you he wouldn't have been able to kick me in the stomach one out of a dozen times if I let him try. I just wouldn't want to break his leg eventually, so I wouldn't want to do it 12 times. Three's a good number. I mean, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I would have done one for each. And his leg would have been so, if he wasn't crying, or if he wasn't begging for mercy or asking me to stop, then I would have enlightened him and asked him about, you know, I I would have made a joke. Oh, well, three points for red and zero for me, I guess. (laughs) What is that? And listen, that is, that is, uh, you know, that is a guy that had this, uh, this male ego thing, because a couple of the black belts that were working with him were ladies, and he wanted to stand up, never seen that before in the martial arts, have you? (laughs) You say, yeah, but your, the way that you handled it would have been nothing more than a big male ego thing too. To which I say, Yes. Of course. What's wrong with that? <laughs> right? Because what he would have learned is in the world of male, big ego, big ego male things, the guy that's stronger and more experienced and better wins. Well, guess what's going to happen in judgment with God? He's stronger, more experienced, and better. <laughs> He's going to win. Right? So again, that's, uh, you know, that is uh, <clears throat> a, a misperception about judgment. Sometimes people think that they understand judgment because they have an opinion, but their opinion isn't necessarily fully developed or formed yet. Lack of experience, whatever the case may be. Uh, turn in your Bibles with, you, with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. When it comes to uh, God's judgment, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about, uh, about God's judgment. And remember, God is bigger and stronger than any one of us, in case there was any doubt about that. <laughs> so, in order to really understand uh, God's judgment, uh, you really need to go to the words of God himself and kind of get a, a glimpse, uh, a look into how does God think. And, um, and that is, um, you know, that is exactly what we're, that is what we're doing. And if you go to uh, Deuteronomy uh, 31, take a look down at verse 14. And what I'm getting ready to show you here is I'll give you a little bit of background. Is, it's the end of Moses' life. And Moses is getting ready to uh, turn the reins over to uh, Joshua. And these are, these are the, some kind of uh, final, you know, administrative cleaning up uh, things that are, that are taking place. And in verse 14, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31, uh, verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, <clears throat> Behold, thy days, uh, the, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua. And present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I may give him, char- give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle 
in a pillar of a cloud, and the pillar of um, uh, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and will go a whoring after other gods uh, of the strangers of the of the land, whether they go uh, to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Uh, then my anger shall be kindled against them in that, in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be uh, devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they have uh, wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. Now, therefore, write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So, uh, Moses, uh, you know, and Joshua are in the tabernacle. The Lord comes down, the, the pillar of cloud sets over the tabernacle. The whole congregation is there, and, and they're watching this happen. They're sitting back, and they're watching the pillar of cloud uh, sh- overshadow this tabernacle, and they're going, whoa, God's here again. And, I mean, they've seen it, but they've seen him come in fire. They've seen him come in lightning. Now they've seen, you know, smoke, and, and they know God is dealing with Moses and Joshua. So they got their attention. And God's telling Moses, hey, these people are going to mess up. They're going to turn away from me. And here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to write this song. Write a song. That's what we do as human beings. To remember things, to commemorate things. Happy birthday to you, right? We write songs about it. And uh, Moses, I want you to write this song. And then I want you to teach it to all the people of Israel. And, And that's what Moses did. Um, and then take a look at chapter 32 in, uh, in Deuteronomy, the next chapter over. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll skim through it because this is the song. This is the song um, that Moses wrote. Like I said, I'm going to kind of skim through it, so uh, keep, your, uh, you know, uh, keep your pins handy and, and just go along. Take a look down uh, to verse uh, 15, Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat. And kicked, thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. First off, let me say this. God doesn't have a problem calling Jeshua fat. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Right? Um, you know, Jeshua is another name for Israel. You can see that in, in Deuteronomy 33, 4, and 5. You don't have, we don't have to go look there, right? right now, but I'm just saying that God obviously didn't have a problem calling Jeshurun uh, Israel fat. Um, uh, so obviously I'm going to be in trouble right off the bat. <laughs> but, um, but this is God's song that Moses is, is writing, and this is what the nation of Israel is supposed to remember. Um, it, it says in verse 15 also towards the end of the verse, then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. This is what Israel is guilty of. Verse 16, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. Verse 17, they sacrificed unto devils, not to God. 
Verse 18, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful. Hey, you forgot the God that created you. And has forgotten the God that formed thee. Verse 19, when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his son and of his daughters. And he said, verse 20, I will hide my face. Now, this is a song. Yay! Let's sing the new song. I will hide my face from them. Verse 21, they have jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger. Verse 22, for a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with the increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. This is a song that they're supposed to learn and sing. Verse 23, I will heap mischiefs on them. I will, suspend, I will spend mine arrows upon them. That doesn't sound good. Verse 24, they shall be burnt with hunger. Definitely doesn't sound good. Maybe that takes care of the fat part back in verse 15. <laughs> and, devour, and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth, the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword, verse 25, the sword without and terror within. Isn't this pleasant? Isn't this nice and cheerful and uplifting and it's, it's really exhorting? Verse 26, I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among them. Verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. Verse 29, oh, oh, that they were wise. This is a song, remember, that Moses is teaching them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider the latter end. I wish they would think about the end of things, not what's going on right now. Skip down to verse 32. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and the fields of Gomorrah. 33, their wine is the poison of dragons. 35, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them shall make haste. For the Lord, verse 36, shall judge his people. Verse 37, and he shall say, where are thy gods? their rock in whom they trusted. Verse 39, See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Verse 41, If I wet my glittering sword, that sounds ominous, and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make my arrows, verse 42, drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh. Verse 44. And Moses came and spake all the words of this song in the ears of the people. Now, like I said, keep in mind, folks, this is a song. Right? 
you know, it's probably a party favorite for the nation of Israel. <laughs> Anytime they had a party, they said, hey, you know, let's, let's sing that song. You know, you know that one, uh, that, that, that song that's in the hymnal, not the, not the brown one, uh, not, the, not the red hymnal. It's in the you're in trouble hymnal. <laughs> song number 555, it must be. Imagine what the response would be if we came in and I said, open your, uh, your You're in Trouble hymnal this morning to song 555. <laughs> so this is a song about how bad God is going to judge them and punish them. And folks, it's a song. People don't understand God's judgment. They have their own idea about what judgment should look like but when you get right down into the book and you read about it, God gave them this warning and he said, ah, turn this into a song and make them memorize it and sing it all the time so that they don't forget what it's really like. A song? Really? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's judgment. So what I, what, I, what I wanted to do this morning is just uh, take a look at that timeline and just look at, uh, with this in mind, right, now that, now that this first degree black belt has been enlightened <laughs> to what judgment <laughs> really is, and there's a lot of other places you can go in the Bible and, and, and actually make it a lot worse than just the song. I just thought it was kind of cool that it was a song. Um, I wanted to take a look at, uh, at some of the God's judgment throughout the course of history, just so that you and I understand and, and know God's judgments, right? It's good to know the rule book. And some of these are pretty easy, and you're very familiar with them. We'll move through them very quickly. The first one, obviously, is, um, you know, Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 3, you know the story. The serpent came down, beguiled Eve, and, and Adam uh, ate the fruit. Uh, and God came down, and he judged, and he cursed all of mankind because of that act of disobedience. Right? Uh, this is where sin entered uh, uh, to mankind. It is where the relationship between man and God became broken. It is the whole reason why we're in the mess that we're in. It is the whole reason why you have the struggles and the trials and the health issues and, and why we die, why things go wrong in life, why, you know, why we see uh, children struggle, why we see parents struggle, why, why we struggle. It's the whole reason because sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve fell for it, and now we are facing the consequences for all that. Amen. And God came down and he judged sin and he, he, he uh, you know, uh, made that, that, uh, that lamb skin and he covered Adam and Eve as a temporary covering and, and he took care of it. And the judgment that came out of it was that men and women would have to face hell just like the devil and his angels. All right, moving on in the timeline, we come up to uh, the flood. You know, obviously, you know a lot about the flood. Genesis chapter 6, it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And they were fair, and they took them wives, which they chose. And you know the, the whole implication of all that. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It had gotten to that point. And it repented the Lord that he had made a man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord 
the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And that was his intent. Hey, these guys, uh, they headed the wrong direction. They're only thinking about evil things continually. You know what? I am just going to wipe them all out. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. He's taken out the animals too. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But of course, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we know the story. And God, God did come and he judged the world. And he drowned out everybody except Noah and the uh, eight people on the ark. Next thing we come across is you come across after the flood, a little while goes by, and then you have the Tower of Babel. In uh, Genesis chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel, and all the people are gathering themselves together, and they're all trying to become one nation, and one accord, and one people, and they all speak one language, and God looks down, and he says, uh-oh, here they go, they're at it again. We just got through with the flood not too long ago, and now here's the Tower of Babel. And the Lord looks down, and what he did is, uh, he said, uh, and the Lord said, Behold, this people is one. Yay, unity. Well, maybe not so yay. And they have all, they have all one language, and, they have, and, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, therefore, and confound their language, that they may not understand, understand one another's speech. And God comes down to the Tower of Babel, and he confounds their language, and, and, and nobody can understand one another, and the, the whole thing just falls apart. And everybody begins to break up and, and go their own separate ways and, and, and move off into their own parts of the, of the earth. They, they found the other people that spoke the same language as them, and they kind of gathered over there because at least they could talk to one another. You move on a little bit in time frame. And uh, you come to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember the story, Abraham and Lot, and Lot winds up going down to the city of Sodom. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but you remember what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And those, those angels come in, and they, uh, they, they meet up with Abraham, and, you know, uh, <coughs> should we tell Abraham what we're doing? <coughs> and, and, you know, hey, will you, uh, Abraham kind of barters with God. Hey, if you find 50 people... In 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you spare the city? <laughs> Lot's down there. My, my nephew's down there. His wife's down there. Right? Their kids are down there. If you find 50 people in Sodom that are righteous, will you spare the city? God says, sure, I'll spare the, I'll spare the city if I find 50 people. Oh, oh, Lord, please forgive me. 40, 30, 20. He gets all the way down to 10. Abraham's thinking, surely, surely, God, surely there's 10 righteous people. I mean, Lot his wife, their kids, you know, their spouses. There's got to be at least 10. And God says, yes, I'll spare Sodom if I find 10 righteous people. Those angels, uh, they go into that town, and you know, remember what happened? The men of the city all grabbed, all, you know, gathered together around uh, the house where they're staying. You know, bring those men out to us. And God says, there's not ten righteous people here. And what does God do? God passes judgment. And he rains down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah and, and destroys it. 
It says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Those folks were sitting in that town during, uh, you know, I don't know if it was during the day, during the night, whenever it was, when (coughs) it probably rained for a while. And they looked up, and you talk about a meteor shower. And that was the judgment of God. Right? They didn't get to choose or override God's judgment. You move on in time, and uh, you get up a little bit later in history, and you eventually get to the the children of Israel and the Song of Moses that we just read. Uh, talked about that a little bit, but that happens uh, in that time frame. You can <coughs> you continue on. The nation of Israel goes into the, the promised land after Joshua takes them in. And they, uh, they live in the promised land for a while, and the kings, you know, good kings, bad kings, that whole cycle that they go through time and time again. And eventually the Lord looks at them, and eventually they made all the mistakes that that song was supposed to keep them from making. And what does God do? God judges them. And he takes them into captivity. It was Nebuchadnezzar to take them into captivity. And then the Lord Jesus Christ comes down from heaven. And he, they crucify him and they hang him on the cross. And the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary judged sin. Amen? Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ paid for our sin on Calvary. Sin, sin was judged at Calvary's cross. And God became, uh, you know, uh, became victorious uh, over sin. <coughs> he bore the sin of the whole world on his body on the tree. And, and, <coughs> and sin, our sin, if you're saved here today, your sin was judged there at Calvary. If you're lost, your sin was judged at Calvary there. You just haven't received the full benefit of it yet. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He'll take that payment that he made, and he'll wash away your sin as well. But sin was judged at Calvary. And then, we talked about this the other day. We are here at this time frame. And the next, uh, the next uh, major event, as far as judgment's concerned, that, that you and I look forward to is the, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Uh, this is the judgment seat of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, for, is for Christians. And that's not a judgment of our sin. Because our sin's already judged back at Calvary, right? Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, um, is, is a judgment of our works. Christians, as a judgment of our works. It, it's, it doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That was already taken care of at Calvary. When you got saved, that was set. But it does, it does determine your rewards. The judgment seat of Christ, you're judged on your rewards. You're judged on your performance as a Christian. Uh, and talks, it talks about the judgment seat of Christ in Romans uh, chapter 14. In, um, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says this. It says, for other foundation can no man lay than, than that is laid, which is, Christ, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work which he hath built thereupon, um, uh, if, any, if, any, if any man's work, excuse me, abide which he hath built there, thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Again, it's not a determination whether you go to hell or heaven. It is a determine whether you gain the rewards or if your rewards like wood, hay, and stubble are burned up in the fire. Right? Uh, and it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we, we must all, talking to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good, or bad. So the beautiful part about the judgment seat of Christ is you saw those trophies and that's, that's what we hope to get out of the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we should be striving for. That's what we should be working for, right? That's what, uh, that's what you know, we, we hope that we get out of there. Some, some gold, silver, precious stones. We hope there's not much wood, hay, and stubble. And then after the judgment seat of Christ... We get to the, uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation and at the second, uh, the second advent and in Revelation 19 it talks about the second advent and it says this, and I saw heaven open and behold the white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth what? Judge and make war. The second advent, ladies and gentlemen, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, now we're saved. We go up with him at the judgment seat of Christ. We get our, our works judged and, and, and gain or lose rewards. But at least we're in heaven. Amen. Right? And then, uh, and then we put on white robes and we come back with him. And we're the army following him when he comes back. And all those people that were lost, that were left on this earth, guess what they have to face now? Now they face judgment. It's their turn. Right? We've already faced ours. Now all those people that, that, that uh, refused to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stayed here, they had to go through the Antichrist and all the plagues and all the vials and, and uh, the trumpets and everything that you read about in the book of Revelation and all that stuff goes on in the earth. You know, a third part of the earth is burnt up, a third part of the people die and all things happen and the sun, the moon, dark and fire and brimstone and all those nice creatures with scorpion tails. Uh, sting, uh, all that, you know, all that beautiful stuff in, in Revelation happens during that seven-year period, and after all those bad things happen, then the Lord comes back and says, okay, now it's time for me to judge you. That's the second advent. And at that point in time, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus Christ judges, judges those people that were left, and there's a few that make it through, okay, and they go into the millennial reign. That thousand-year period, but a bunch of them wind up dying and we and are, are cast into hell. And then things go on for a thousand years, where the Lord Jesus Christ is set up in uh, on the, on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and he reigns and rules and reigns on the earth. And and the earth, <coughs> for the most part, is a great place to be. But there's still that one final judgment that comes into play. And that is the great white throne judgment. And at that point in time, ladies and gentlemen, the great white throne judgment, um, 
The Bible talks about it in Revelation. It says, I saw the great white throne, him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And, uh, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast to the lake of fire. Amen. So here are some things about the great white throne judgment. Who gets judged at the great white throne judgment? Well, it's not you and me if you're saved. Our judgment was back at the judgment seat of Christ. But folks, pretty much everybody else winds up at that great white throne judgment. All the lost people from Adam until the end of the millennium are going to be called up and judged at the great white throne judgment. And they're going to find that their name is not in the book of life. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Those people that have already died and have been in hell for an extended period of time, maybe 2,000 years, maybe 1,000 years, maybe five, maybe you know, uh, 1,500 years, those people are going to be brought up out of hell. They're going to bow before the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to be judged only to be sent right back into the lake of fire. Amen. Terrible thing. But there's some other people that are going to be judged there too. Everybody that made it through the tribulation and the millennium, they're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. But you know what? Some of them are going to do okay. Some of them are going to find that their names are written in the book of life. So those people that, are, that, are, that come out of the tribulation okay and they make it through the millennium and they, they, uh, you know, they, they follow the, the instructions that God gave them, some of those people that make it through that, that uh, tribulation and millennium time period, they're going to wind up at the great white throne judgment and they're going to be okay. Some of them won't, but some of them will be. All the, uh, the Old Testament saints, you know, if you think of everybody in the, in the Old Testament, um, you know, before, before Calvary, uh, all of them have to have a judgment somewhere. Well, they're going to wind up being judged at the great white throne judgment. And you know what they're going to find? They're going to find that their names are written in the book of life. Right? It says in Revelation 2, uh, uh, 2015, when talking about this judgment, and whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Well, that means everybody that was found in the book of life doesn't have to go. Amen. So all those people that I just talked about uh, are, are uh, they're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. Some of them wind up going into the lake of fire. Some of them wind up going 
off into eternity, the only people that aren't judged at the great white throne judgment are New Testament Christians, because ours was back at the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody faces judgment somewhere, okay? Take a look at that timeline and look at how often, look at how often God has had to intercede and pass judgments. And I didn't put near all of them up there. I would have run out of room. What do I learn about God? I learned, I learned, I learned this about God. I learned God has a book. And he judges men out of that book. And according to the history of man that we have recorded in the Bible, he keeps pretty close tabs on things. I mean, look at that. And that's just the highlights. There's just a lot of judgments going on. Now, the beautiful part of it, our sins are judged at Calvary, folks, and, and, and we are, our sins are taken care of. And the, the, the best part about knowing about these judgments is you know that, hey, when I follow God and do right, I come out okay at the judgments. Amen. Right? When I get to the judgment seat of Christ... I know there's some wood, hay, and stubble I got to deal with, like every other Christian. But man, I'm hoping at least for a little bit of gold and silver. Maybe a precious stone or two, somewhere along the way. I hope not everything that I did was selfish. We have that to look forward to. See, people instinctively understand, and I'm almost done, people instinctively understand this thing we call judgment. We use it every day in our lives. We use it in karate all the time. It's, it's ingrained in us. But folks, you and I at least have a Bible. And, and we know we can at least go to the Bible and look and see the rules. We don't have to be like that young, inexperienced black belt who had his own idea of how the judgment was going to be, only to find out later, oh, my idea really wasn't all that great. <laughs> we don't have to be like that. Now, there are some people, there are some people, in spite of all this, who are obstinate, and they say, don't judge me. I don't want to be judged. Who do you think you are judging me? Hey, it's not me. Don't talk to me about that. All I can say about anyone that thinks that way or that has that running through their mind is, folks, God is a lot bigger than you think. God is a lot more powerful than you think. And you can say, don't judge me all you want. But the reality is, it's not your choice. 
Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You don't have a choice. Everyone, one of these days, is going to be judged out of a book. You and I today, Christians, we've got a Bible. And we can read that thing and we can see how God judges, when God judges, what triggers God's judgment, why God judges, and what he's looking for when he judges. And when we understand the rules, when we understand the rule book, you know what we can do? We can, we can adjust our life accordingly so that we come out on the right side of the judgment. With the gold, silver, precious stones. But folks, the world, the world doesn't do that. God wanted the nation of Israel to remember these things so badly. He had Moses write a song and then had everybody in the nation sing that song and memorize that song. Why? Because God's will is that you and I actually come out on the good side of judgment. God's will for every one of us as a Christian is when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we walk away with gold, silver, precious stones, crowns that we can throw you know, at, at his feet. The Lord's looking for us to be able to, to, to gain those rewards and, and to, to take this thing called judgment not as a, you know, not as a bad thing where we're condemned, but where it's, it's, it's a success for us. But that's not going to happen as long as we have our own ideas about what judgment is. But when we go to the book and we see what God's looking for, man, we can sure figure things out. I don't mean to equate the Christian life to competition, but it is somewhat of a competition. Competition is much more, is much easier and you'll be much more successful when you know the rules. Right? And that's kind of what this was here today, just a, uh, an overall view of a, of a topic, of an attribute about God that, as you can see, uh, in, in, the frequency, in the frequency of how often God has to step in and intercede in men's lives, this attribute of God is prevalent throughout all man's history. That attribute, we, we understand God's love, his mercy, his grace. But a lot of times, folks, we tend to not think about his judgment. But I need to know that part of him, too. Amen? He's, he's a great judge. And, and you know, in, in our, our, our competitions in karate, we either have three judges judging a, uh, a, a division... Or five judges judging a division. Do you know why we have three or five judges? We have three or five judges because you know what? None of them is perfect. <laughs> and we're hoping that a majority of the judges will conclude the right decision. And as human beings, that's the best we can do. You know what the beauty about God is? He's perfect. One judge, and he's always right. Right? God's one judge, and he's always right. 
I hope, in some ways, I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. It scares me. <laughs> in some ways, I'm looking forward to it. Because I know once we get beyond it, everything is going to be grand. But at least I know the rules going in. And that's a big help. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you once again for an opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, Lord, we uh, talk about a subject today that is, uh, quite frankly, not real uh, uh, pleasant or not real uh, fun to think about. Because, Lord, we're human beings and we're not perfect. And we know all of our own failures and we know all of our weaknesses and we know our tendencies and we know our past. But, Father, I'm so grateful for the mercy and the forgiveness that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that all of my sins as a Christian <clears throat> were judged at Calvary's cross when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm glad that I don't have to worry about those things anymore. So, Father, all I really need to worry about now is how I can serve you. And, Father, I pray that you'd help all of us here as Christians to, to serve you well, uh, that we might be able to obtain gold, silver, precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ, that we might earn a crown or two to, to cast at your feet, uh, Father, just for, just for living a life that is pleasing in your sight while we're down here on this earth. Help us to ever keep this uh, judgment seat of Christ in, in, in the forefront of our mind as Christians. Help us, Father, to understand that you have everything taken care of as far as when people are going to get judged <clears throat> and that nobody is going to escape it. But Father, we, uh, we know the rules and we know what you're after. And with that, Father, we can be successful. And we're grateful for that. Pray that you might help us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.